come to the Lord and they're some of the most unlikely people uh, to be converted to the Lord. I think about in Matthew 27 we read of the centurion who is working at the crucifixion and when Jesus died, he said, surely this was the Son of God. I think about in Daniel chapter 4, 33-37, how that even old King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who did so much destruction in the world, even he was humbled by God, and then he humbled himself uh, to God. Think about in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, we read that a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So many of the priests and scribes and Pharisees stood in opposition to Jesus, but after a while, even some of them were obedient to the faith. No one worked as hard against uh, the, the cause of Jesus than Saul of Tarsus did, but we read of his conversion in the book of Acts chapters 9, 22, and uh, chapter 26. In Acts 18, verse 8, we read that many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And these were some of uh, the people in the world who were involved in some of the grossest and the um, most lowest forms of sin known to man. But yet, even some of them uh, were baptized into Christ. In Philippians 4, 22 and 23, we read about even some of Caesar's own household have become saints, have, have become uh, Christians themselves. And so here in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1, we have the conversion of the mariners, the conversion of the seamen. You remember, you remember the story. God comes to Jonah the prophet and he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah arose all right, but instead of going into Nineveh, he goes to Joppa in order to board a ship that was headed to Tarshish. Jonah rebelled against God and went in the very opposite direction instead of obeying the Lord. And it is here when Jonah gets on this ship that we run into these mariners, the men who are in control of the direction of this ship. And these men will become true believers in the true God. And what we want to do for a few minutes is to trace this out. We want to trace their journey uh, to God. So let's be looking at our Bibles here in Jonah uh, chapter 1. And we'll trace uh, this incredible journey out. First of all, please uh, notice that they are motivated by a very frightening experience. Verses 4 through 6, Jonah chapter 1. They are motivated, these mariners, they are motivated by a very frightening experience. You know that God will hurl a great wind upon the sea. It will cause an incredible storm. The storm will begin to impact the ship. It will sound like and maybe even feel like it was going to break apart. The mariners, if you look at verse 5, the mariners call upon their gods. These are false gods right now. But they call upon their gods because they're very frightened. The storm must have been huge because these men were experienced. They had seen 
uh, storms. If, you, if you're on the sea very long, you're going to see some storms on the sea. But this was a storm that God directly caused. He hurled a great wind, and they were very frightened. And they even began to cast off some of their cargo to make the ship lighter, hoping that uh, might help. Jonah now has gone down into the inner parts of the ship, and he's asleep. So they go down and wake him up, and they said, Oh, sleeper, call upon your God. They were just they were scared to death. They, they were motivated by a very frightening experience. All of us have been in storms. Have you ever been in, have you ever been in a storm on a lake or on the sea? That's a little bit different. I remember we did some bass fishing growing up, and I was, me and my brother, we were with my dad, and we were fishing in a slough one, one hot summer afternoon, and, and a storm came up. We saw the cloud coming. It came up fast, and so basically you have two choices. You're either going to try to just get close to the bank and under some trees and kind of ride it out, or you're going to try to race that storm. My dad decided that day he's going to race it back to the boat dock there at Duncan Duncan's Bridge, he's told, uh, he told me and my brother, I want you to get down on the floorboard and lay down. And we did, and it was an incredible ride. They were, the wind was blowing, the waves were hitting, and we, it was a bumpy ride. The hail started coming down, and it was a storm. And this is much worse that we're reading about here in Jonah uh, chapter 1. But they allowed, these mariners allowed, the frightening nature of life to move them closer to the true God. And that's, that is why, that's one reason why life is so uncertain. And we read in James 4, 13 and 14, What is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Uh, we read in Hebrews 9 and 27, It is appointed unto man once to die. And then after this, the judgment. Life itself is, is of a precarious nature. Okay. In Proverbs 27, and in verse uh, 1, we read, uh, Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We know this about life. David was being pursued by, by Saul back in those ancient days, and he stopped and said this. He said, There is but a step between me and death. We know that to be true in life. There's just a step between us and death. And the Lord expects us to use the uncertainty of life uh, to motivate us to, to draw close uh, to Him. About a week ago, most of us heard about the tragic death of Kobe Bryant, who was a former NBA star, and his daughter, and then there were some other families on board of the helicopter. And it was a very foggy day, evidently, in California last uh, Sunday, and Helicopter got too low and it crashed. All of them uh, perished. We don't have to go to California to know that. We have that happening around us uh, all the time. And we know how uh, uncertain uh, life can be. And the Lord wants us to understand the realities of life and allow that uh, to motivate us to draw close to Him. That's what these mariners are doing here in Jonah uh, chapter 1. And so let it come down to you personally and ask yourself, you know, am I living in a world of denial? Am I living in some sort of de detached world where I'm keeping busy with my duties and my job and my games and the things that I enjoy? And I'm not, I'm just kind of keeping the eternity pushed aside. I'm keeping eternity at a, an arm's length. I'm not really thinking about how uncertain 
life is. Am I living that way or am I allowing this, this nature of life, the precarious nature of life, to help me love God more and serve Him more fully because uh, I know that life is passing by rather fast. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, that we are but strangers and pilgrims. You know, this world is not our home. We are passing through and we must allow this ideal to motivate us as did uh, these mariners. So first, they were motivated by a frightening experience. In the second place, notice concerning as we trace out the conversion of these mariners, they had an intense desire to understand what was going on. Verses 5 through 7, verses 7 through 10, I should say. Notice here in Jonah 1, 7 through 10, they have an incredible desire to try to understand what's going on. And so they cast lots. Okay? And there are a lot of explanations about casting lots, but basically it's all, it's, all it was was this. They would find either some sticks or some stones, and they would write the names of the people involved on these sticks or stones, put them in a container, and then just randomly draw one of the sticks or one of the stones out and whoever's name was on that stick that was brought out, then that lot has cast upon them. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. And then they had some investigative questions for Jonah. They said, now what is your occupation? Uh, Who are your people? Where is it you said you were from? What is it that you said that you have done? Because when Jonah first got on the ship, he had told them, I am running away from the Lord. Evidently, they didn't really pay much attention to that. All they wanted was his money to, to, for him to ride on that ship. But they came back and they remembered his words. They said, now, who did you say you were running from? And what did you say you had done? And he, he responds, says, I'm a Hebrew and I serve the God that made the dry land and the God that made the sea. When they heard all this and they put all that together, they came to the right conclusion that this storm, the source of this storm was revolving around Jonah. But notice how from verses 7 through 10, they had an intense desire to understand what was happening. If we are going to serve the Lord, if we're going to obey Him, we must have that same sort of intense uh, desire. Notice some statements here from the New Testament. Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who do hunger, who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Notice in John seven seventeen, the Lord says, If any man wills to do my will, the will there, the, the, to will to do the will of the Lord, means uh, the will of God will seize your mind and occupy your mind to the point where you must search out for the truth and not be satisfied until you find it. If any man wills to do his will, then he will know of the teaching. Back in Psalm 119.97, the writer says this, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day or night. Well, is that how I feel about that? Can, does that describe my activities? Does that, does that describe my habits? Do I truly love the law of the Lord. In Colossians three sixteen, the beginning of that verse says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you uh, richly. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, as newborn babes, we ought to desire the sincere milk of the word. We have seen this with, with babies in their bottle. We, we've seen this. I mean, when, it was t- and when it's time for their milk, they'll let you know and then they'll almost lunge toward uh, the bottle because they're just ready to eat. 
So as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that's how we ought to be. We've got to have this sort of intense desire. You know, we were discussing uh, Wednesday evening in our class the importance of knowing the truth, John eight thirty two. You shall know the truth and truth shall make you free. But to know that truth, uh, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, that we've got to believe in that truth and we've got to love that truth. We've got to love that truth. And then Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 12, we've got to be established in that truth. So the ideal here is when Peter says, you know, to be established in the truth, we've got to live in the truth and we've got to let the truth live in us. And that comes from an intense desire. A couple of examples here for our encouragement. Think about Job and how, how strong he was under difficulties. Well, here's a secret. Job 23, 12. Job says this. He says, I esteem the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. I esteem the words of God's mouth more even than my necessary food. And over in the New Testament, we remember the Bereans that Paul visited and preached. And he said, uh, Luke says this about the Bereans. He said, they were of such a nature that they searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things being preached was so or not. And so there is that intense desire. Now we're tracing out the conversion of these mariners. And you can see they're motivated by fear, by, by a frightening situation. But we also see that they have an intense desire to understand uh, what is happening. In the third place, notice this, they were conscious of man's need to do something. These mariners were conscious. They, they understood that man must do something to be delivered from God. Man must do something. Now, let's think about this for a moment. If and when this storm calms down, the reason that it will calm down will be totally on God. The reason this storm will eventually calm down is because of the mercy and the tremendous power of God Himself. Nonetheless, these men still had to do something in order for this to occur. And let's keep that in mind even in our own uh, day. Someone might say, well, if, it's, if God is that involved in this story, and if God is that involved in my salvation, then, then why must man do anything at all? Well, in answer to that, it's, it's really simple because that's just the way it is. My, my answer to that would be, that's just the way it is. Okay. Let's think about this. Every, everywhere you look, God is, requires man to do something in response to his goodness, his grace, and uh, his, his power. Notice some of these passages. Matthew chapter 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. So you see that emphasis there. Notice in James 1, uh, verse 22, Be you doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving uh, your own selves. Notice how Jesus will conclude as he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He asks this question. He says, which of these three, the priest, Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who was hurt? 
And they answered correctly, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed compassion. And then Jesus said this, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And so we see here that man ought to be conscious, all of us ought to be conscious of the idea that there is something for us to do. There is a response that is expected of us. Notice the questions from the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 and 37, they were pricked in the heart and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And then, of course, Peter responded and said, Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice in in, uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse 30, the jailer came in and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's always man's part. God's part, of course, is to save. But our part is to do what he says uh, to do. Uh, When Saul of Tarsus was retelling his conversion story, Paul the Apostle retelling his conversion story there in Acts 22 and verse 10, he tells it like this. When the Lord appeared to him on that road uh, to Damascus, he finally said, you know, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he asked the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the Lord said, go on into the city and it will be told you what you must do there. And so the mariners, to their credit, very much to their credit, they were conscious of the fact that they must do something. Notice here uh, in Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 11, after they had decided that the source of this storm was revolving around Jonah, they looked to Jonah and said, what is it that we should do? Jonah will say to them, verse 12, Cast me into the sea, and it will become uh, calm. Now notice again some examples from the Old Testament. Genesis uh, chapter 6, uh, 22, speaking of being doers of the word, it, it was so good of God and powerful of God and merciful of God to save the world in the days of wickedness in Noah's day. But Genesis 6 says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 6 and verse 8. But even with God's great demonstration of power and mercy toward the world in that day, still Noah and his family had to build the ark. And that's what Genesis 6.22 says, Thus did Noah according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. You see that in Genesis 6? You remember that when Exodus 14, when when God delivered, and again, it's it's a tremendous thing to think about how God delivered His people from Egyptian bondage, from the clutches of Pharaoh, and they get out there to the sea, and there's no place to go between the sea and, and Pharaoh and the Egyptians following them, and God parted the sea through Moses, and the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. Now, God parted the sea... But they had to walk through on dry ground. There's always been something for man to do. Always in God's care and in God's dealings with man, no matter what it was or what it is, and even as it is today, salvation through Christ, there's always been something uh, to do. So if a person says, well, you know, why do we have to, why do we have, to have faith? Why, 
Why do we have to have obedience? Why do, why do we have to? Why is there something? Why are there conditions attached? All we can really say is that's just the way it's been. It, it'd be just as well to ask this question: Why do we have to breathe? Why do we have to breathe? Why do we have to eat? Why do we have to, to sleep? We don't know another reality with God. We don't know of a God who does not expect man to respond to His power and to His mercy and to His grace. And so. Even today, under the new law of Christ, uh, we're expected to do, just as Peter said in Acts 2.38, repent ye and be baptized. So they were very conscious of that. And then, in the fourth place, notice with these mariners, they tried, they attempted deliverance on their own. This is the... Really the one negative thing we see about them. Notice in Jonah 1 verse 12, Jonah gives them the answer. Cast me into the sea. But notice what they do in the next verse. They begin to row very hard, trying on their own to get back to the shore. Now I know this was, this was an intense storm. It's just getting worse. And they're in a panic mode. But isn't this just like us? Isn't this just like mankind? God's answers will be right there in front of us. And yet we will attempt salvation. We will attempt to try peace, to try to find peace in our soul uh, on our own. uh, In our own way or or following some other man. When the answer is right there in, in front of us. The answer is right there in front of them. Jonah, God through Jonah had told him, cast me into the sea and it will become calm. Your life will be saved. But they had to, at least for a while, they had to try this on their own. So they row uh, very hard. You know that there are many scriptures that warn against us going away from God and trying man's ways or our own way. Titus 3 and verse 5, Paul says as he's explaining salvation, He says, it's not by works or righteousness which we have done ourselves, but through His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration, throws baptism in there, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. But it's never been by works or righteousness that we have come up with. We have designed, but only following the Lord's plans uh, can we find peace uh, for our our souls. You know that Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right unto man, but those ways always end uh, in death. And so there's been example after example where men, not only these men here, these mariners, but think about old King Saul of the Old Testament. He was told by God to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And, of course, Samuel was the prophet in those days uh, leading uh, Saul. Saul went and, and gained victory. Saul in the army of Israel go and gain victory against the Amalekites, but he does not utterly destroy them. He decides that saving a few animals alive, saving the king alive, would be good for the people. He even puts a religious sense in it. He says, we save these animals alive in order to do sacrifices to the God. So Samuel shows up after the, the fight, and Saul says to him, 1 Samuel 15, 13 and 14, he says... He comes to Samuel and says, Look, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And then Samuel said to him, Well, if that's the case, 
why am I hearing the bleeding of the sheep? And why am I hearing the lowing of the oxen? Now he had not. Somewhere along the way, Saul, King Saul, decided to go off on his own. He decided, yeah, I, I hear what you say, Lord, but I think this would be best. I'm going to save some animals alive to sacrifice. I'm going to save the king alive. He might be of help to us later. You know, so he goes off on his own. That's what Cain does as well back when God condemns him for his worship. God had commanded that a sacrifice be taken from, from the flocks, from the animals, and Cain decided to bring something from the fruit of the ground. So his worship was not accepted by God. And so he decided somewhere along the way that he, it would be okay for him to go off on his own and do his own thing. And that just doesn't work with God. Now going back to these mariners, it wasn't from a lack of skill. They had the skill. It would probably be amazing to search out just how skillful these seamen were back in these ancient days. And they, they had the skill. They would not be in charge of this boat from Joppa to Tarshish if they didn't have the skill. It's just that regardless of their skill, they still had to do what God said to do. You know, the Bible, uh, the New Testament teaches that women are to have a submissive role, both in the home and in the Lord's church. And oftentimes when we teach that, people will say, well, you know, there are ladies who are just as skillful as men. That's very true. Very true. But, you know, this is not God's way. These men were very skilled. And they had a lot of zeal. Notice there in the text that they will row very hard. They're putting forth their very best effort in order to get that ship back to the shore. But it wasn't going to work because they just were not doing what God said. Paul mentions in Romans 10 concerning his own uh, Jewish brethren. He said their problem is this. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And these men had a zeal. They were working very hard to get that ship back to shore, but it just wasn't going to work until they did what the Lord said to do. And so, finally we see these men humbly obey the Lord. Notice that in Jonah chapter 1, 15 and 16, 14 and 15, they will finally just say that they, they call upon the true God and they say, Lord, please don't lay this innocent blood of Jonah on us. We see now that this is what pleases you. And so they wanted to please the true God. And so they do. In verse 15, they cast Jonah into the sea and immediately the storm ceased. I'm sure that didn't make a lot of sense to them. But you know, sometimes we must trust and obey the Lord even when it doesn't make sense according to regular human wisdom. You remember in Genesis 22, God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. Okay. That doesn't make sense. Okay. Of course, he didn't have to go through with the sacrifice, but he was testing Abraham. You remember that when God saved Israel uh, from the death of the firstborn, He had them to put the blood of a lamb without spot and without blemish on the doorpost. Okay. That's just, that was just God's way of saving them. 
You remember when the people were bitten by the snakes in Numbers chapter uh, 21 because they were doing all this complaining and, and murmuring that God had, uh, had, them, had Moses set up a, a, a brazen serpent, a bronze serpent there, and when you looked upon that, then you could be cured of your snake bite. You remember when God led Joshua to conquer the, the city of Jericho? They marched around the walls. That's not a regular military strategy, but it, it worked. You remember uh, Andrew shared with us uh, last week the story of Naaman, and Naaman had to, had to dip seven times in the Jordan River to get, to get rid of his leprosy. That's not medical strategy, but it was God's strategy. And so finally, when Naaman trusted and obeyed the Lord, then the leprosy left. So it is here with uh, these men, these mariners. Uh, they tried it on their own. It didn't work. Finally, they trusted and obeyed. It may have sounded, you know, if you looked up on accuweather.com, it, it wouldn't tell you that this is the way a storm was, was going to finally cease. You know, usually a front has to move on through. But here, the instruction was, cast him into the sea and then the storm will cease. And so even today, whatever the Lord asks us to do, we must just simply do it without question. That's what the true nature of faith. Just, just know who He is. Do what He says. And He will work out things in your life in a greater way. Much, much greater way. So they finally humbly obeyed the Lord. And we see here in verse 16... They began to live. They began living for the Lord. Notice the three things there. They feared the Lord exceedingly. Verse 16. They began to do sacrifice unto Him. And then they vowed vows before Him. They made promises and pledges that in their, in, as they live, they're going to do better and they're going to put away their sin and they're going to serve and, and share the good news about Him wherever they go. They're making vows. Here's something I think I just need to say before we get done. Have you ever prayed to the Lord in the midst of a crisis and said, Lord, if you'll just help me, if you'll just help me get through this, then I promise you, you'll have the best servant you've ever had from Lawrence County. You ever done that? I mean, most of us have. We pray to the Lord that in the midst of the crisis, you know, if you'll just get me through this, if you'll just get me over this next, this next hump, then Lord, I promise you things are going to be a lot different in my life. Notice these guys, they make their vows after the deliverance. It's pretty impressive. The storm is over now. They're back on safe ground. But they're converted to the Lord and they're making vows and promises to Him even after the crisis is over. How many of us follow up on our promises uh, to God? Well, these are just a few of the remarks that can be, making, that can be made as we trace out how they, they come from, from believing in false gods to really being dedicated to the true God. And this helps us to see our relationship with Him uh, with our own Lord today. And we're here to assist one another. It may be that you are ready to put Jesus on in baptism today. And we have plenty of time. We have the facilities to make that happen. We will be glad to assist you in that even right now.
Also, it may be that you just want to be more dedicated. You want to be like these mariners and you want to get back to fearing the Lord exceedingly. If we can help you, please come right now as we stand, as we sing, Brother Tim.